Our scripture reading today is Luke 18, beginning in verse 9. So Luke 18, verse 9 through 14, and it's on the, in the Black Bibles. If you, uh, if you don't have a Bible or access to a Bible, there's some provided in the rows there. And I invite you, if you're able, to stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke 18, beginning in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. So stop me if you've heard this one before. A Presbyterian and a prostitute walk into a church. I think um, if you are exposed to stories from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, I think we are sort of subliminally or subtly trained that when we hear Pharisee, Like the evil piano music starts. Like we hear Pharisee and we're like, oh, here comes one of the bad guys. This is going to be one of those stories. And we perhaps forget that that's not how the people during Jesus' day would have heard Pharisee. And so that's why... I ask if you've heard the one about the Presbyterian and the prostitute. I was going to say publican, but nobody knows what a publican is. And tax collectors, like tax collectors then are not like tax collectors now. Now, obviously, we all still hate tax collectors, but not the way they used to view tax collectors then. And it's important for us then because we are, whether you were aware or not, we've locked the doors, in case you didn't know, a Presbyterian church. And so it's important to use that middle name. I could have said, have you heard the one about the the Lutheran and the loser? Or about the Baptist and the bad man? Or you can find your own, you know, the Methodist and the meanie. Go wherever you need to go. But as good, faithful churchgoers... Do we hear this 
parable as a warning to us, or do we just hear it and almost like the Pharisees say, oh, I'm glad I'm not like him. Jesus tells this this parable about two men that are seeking the answer to one question. How can I be right with God? How can I know at the end of the day whether God accepts me or not? And so... They have two different approaches to that answer. And so we have this, this, these juxtaposing men before us, the dressed up and the messed up. And we've got these two men and these two prayers and then these two outcomes. So let's take a look at these men. But first... Again, Luke tells us at the front end, and then Jesus tells us in his summary why this parable is here. Luke tells us in verse 9, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. There were people that were following Jesus Not necessarily because of very much that they felt they needed from him, but really just to show that they were good people. They were people that were following Jesus, or at least showing up where Jesus was, who were very sure of how good they were. And as a result, they looked around at other people just with contempt. The judgment. We thought, well, I'm, I'm better than that guy. These are, these are folks with great self-esteem. It's ironic that like the world tells you you need to, you know, you just need to love yourself more. You need a higher self-image, higher self-worth. I don't know if you've noticed, like in the Bible, when Jesus hangs out with people that have a high self-esteem. He's not that interested in getting to know them. It's the people who feel like they are the messed up that Jesus is most interested in. So he tells this story. These two men, these two men go into the temple to pray. They both address God. They both start their prayer. God. That's the only word in their prayers that's the same. You've got, when you would go to the temple to worship uh, or to pray, there were three times throughout the day that people could be gathered to worship in the temple. At nine in the morning, at noon, and at three in the afternoon. And the two, the two real special times to go were nine in the morning and three in the afternoon because at those times, twice a day, morning and evening, uh, a lamb would be sacrificed during the worship. So every morning, every evening, there would be a lamb that would be sacrificed. A lamb would be brought out. It would be examined and examined 
and examined thoroughly to make sure that it was without any blemishes, without any marks. And then the lamb would be bound and slaughtered and the blood would carefully be gathered and then the blood would be spread on the altar and all of this is a reminder every morning and every evening to God's people that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Without the shedding of blood, your sin cannot be atoned for. And so this is where these two men have come to worship at the temple, both seeking something, the same thing, in fact. They both are looking to be justified. One of them thinks he already is. One of them wonders if it's even possible. So this one is a Pharisee. And again, some reminders of Pharisee is, is Pharisee just means the separated ones or the separatists. Uh, the Pharisees of the time were the conservative churchgoers. Like they were the conservative people of Jerusalem. They, were, they, wanted, to, they wanted God's people to, to separate from those who are ceremonially unclean, who weren't worshiping God the right way. They wanted God's people to separate from those who were morally unclean. There were those who were just sinful in their wickedness, and, and they wanted to separate from them and, and come out from them and be a, be a different people than that. They would even look at fellow Jews and measure them and decide, well, you might not be clean enough yet, so I can't even hang out with you. They were very concerned with externals, like the outside appearance of their religion. They would have long tassels on their robes to make sure people noticed how, how religious they were. Their praying was always in public on street corners so that people would hear how religious they were. When they fasted, it would be out in front of everyone in the public and announced to everyone. They would throw ashes on themselves so that you would see how religious they were, what good, devoted people they were. They probably sat with their children at dinner at night and reminded them, we're not like them. We're different. That's why you can't go to her house. Because they're the bad kind of people that is going to get bad kind of people stuff on you if you hang out with them too much. And we're just, we want to protect you from that. We're better than that, which means we're better than them. This was the Pharisee. And then there's the tax collector. So in Rome, you could buy taxable regions of Rome. So if you were a wealthy man or woman, if you had a wealthy household, it was sort of this investment opportunity. You could buy a tax region and you basically are paying ahead of time the taxes to Rome. So Rome gets a bump in their economy 
but now you have this region that you get to tax and get some money of, out of it, and you get to keep a lot of that money because you've already pre-purchased that region. And so these are the super wealthy in Rome who would have these regions for taxes. And so uh, they would hire chief tax collectors who would oversee that region for them. They wouldn't necessarily live there, but the chief tax collector did. But then the chief tax collector, he couldn't do all of the tax collecting, and so he would hire other tax collectors for the smaller areas of the region. So it's very much this wonderful pyramid scheme. So by the time you're a chief tax collector, you're a double black diamond, and you can start telling your friends how they too have an excellent opportunity uh, if they would just come over for coffee with you. And so, but then the tax collectors, were the, they lived locally, and they collected taxes, and the way that they lived off the taxes is by over-taxing their neighbors so that then they too could have extra money because then the chief tax collector is overtaxing them and then the owner of that tax region is overtaxing him. And so everyone's extorting, everyone's stealing. And so these tax collectors, local tax collectors, were extortioners. They were considered traitors, especially to the people of Israel, to the people of Judah. Like, here you are, like, you're allowing this, this evil outside empire to come in and tax us and take from us and steal from us. The, the rabbinic law, not God's law, but the rabbi's law that they added to God's law, uh, said there were three people, three types of people that you could break your word to. You could, you could break your vow if you, if you made a commitment to them. And these were murderers. Kind of makes sense. If you're going to kill me, I'm probably going to lie to you about where I'll be tomorrow. Uh, murderers, thieves, and tax collectors. You were not held to God's law of honesty and integrity when it came to talking to tax collectors. That's how low they were viewed in society. And so here are these two men, this Pharisee and this tax collector. And they are coming into the temple to pray. And if the two men seem very different, their two prayers are even more different. So let's look at this prayer of the, of the Pharisee. The Pharisee, in verse 11, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week and give tithes of all that I get. It starts out, it sounds so good, doesn't it? God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Now, he could have just said, God, I thank you that you have protected me from sin and temptation. Like, I thank you that, he could have just said, I thank you that I don't extort people. I thank you that I don't steal. I thank you that I have been faithful to my wife. But that's not how he puts it, is it? I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector who, by the way, is an extortioner and is unjust, 
and let's admit it, most likely he's an adulterer too. I mean, we all know what these guys are like, right? I mean, there's smoke, there's fire, and he's not going to, he's a bad person. Ah, there, there, but for the grace of God, go I. Which we probably say at times. It, see, for him, it's not enough that he's not doing things. He needs other people's example to show I'm better than him. I'm better than them. But he goes on, doesn't he? He says, I fast twice a week. So according to God's law, there's only one fast required of Israel in a year on the Day of Atonement. In fact, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, was just a couple of weeks ago. It's a day of fasting, one day in a year. This guy fasts not once a year, not twice a year, twice a week this guy fasts. And he gives tithes on everything that he gets. And even the law on tithing was on very specific parts of what you received. There were things that you tithed on, but other things it was like, well, okay. What is he saying here? God, I'm so good. I'm better than your requirements. I'm so good. I'm doing better than even what you require of me. Now, before we decide, like, this guy's an awful person, he definitely deserves to die. Imagine if a man like this walked into Hope of Christ. And he says, hey, I want to join the church. And we ask him, well, hey, well, is your life any different from the world's? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm just, I I don't extort people. I'm faithful to my wife. It's like, oh, wow, that's good, that's good. What about your... Like, well, how about your, your devotion? What's your religious affections like? Well, well, I mean, I'm pretty devoted to God. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I read my Bible seven times a day. I, like, I'm very devoted. I, I fast twice a week. Wow, 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 good. What about your giving? What are your giving habits like? Well, I, I give everything. I tithe on everything. You'd be like, we, we should reopen the elder nominations at this point because, like, this guy is all right. This guy's doing okay. He seems to have it all together. Why does God say that he went home unjustified? He went home unjustified, not declared acceptable to God. Why? Because though he sounds thankful to God, he's mostly thankful to himself. Do you see how much I shows up? Lord, I thank you that I am not like I do this and I do that. Was it, uh, was it Chad Johnson one time who, uh, Ocho Cinco, uh, who like, he thanked his hands? Like in an interview, I think he was tired of like, you know, you hear interviews of wide receivers and they're like, well, I just want to thank God for the opportunity. And so Chad Johnson, being uh, the smart guy he is, He thanked his hands. He gave thanks to his hands for how good he played that day, how well he played that day. I talk good. It's all right. Um, That's this Pharisee. 
Here he is at the evening sacrifice for sins. He's, you know, it says he's standing apart from everyone else. He stood apart. It says like he took his stand literally is what the Greek is. So, I mean, he's not just apart from everyone. He's like making sure everyone's hearing this prayer. He's probably, no, it's not in here. This is just my opinion. He's probably as close to where the priests are allowed to be without breaking any rules. So he's as close as he can get to the sacrifice and still completely misses what the sacrifice is for. Because he doesn't need a lamb. He doesn't need blood shed for his sin. He's fine. He is justified in his own mind. He looks around the room, and this man is certain, if there is anyone righteous in this place, it's me. Because this is what you have to do with God's law. Like So God's law makes demands on us. And so legalism pretends that we are measuring up. Moralism compares. It's like, well, I can't quite measure up, but if I could find enough people not doing as well as me, then I'll be fine. The gospel response to God's law is, is to rest in someone else who has done this for you. I like to call what this guy is looking for a uh, Jesus spackle. You know, you have, when you have home repairs, sometimes there's a crack in the wall, and so you need a little spackle for it. And so you cover it up, and it, everything looks good, a fresh coat of paint, and it looks great. I think a lot of us come to church maybe thinking, I need, I need a little Jesus spackle. Some of my cracks are showing this week. You know, I just need, need a little something, a little filler, something to like make it all look clean and neat again. And I'll go home and be on my way. You don't need, you don't need Jesus' spackle. You need a Jesus' demolition crew who will tear down the entire structure and rebuild it himself. Consider this tax collector's prayer. Again, standing far off. Again, he, he separates himself from the people, probably as far away from the altar as he can be, as close to the door as he can be. He's standing away from the crowds, not because he fears contamination from them like the Pharisee might, but probably because he fears them. Because he knows that they do not think he belongs here. What is this man doing here? I mean, he doesn't even know how to act right. He's beating his breast. That's the way women worship. Oh, he's getting all emotional. Oh, my goodness. No, no, no. That's how we know they were probably Presbyterian. He's like, oh, what are you getting... Are you, are you being moved by this? How can you... Pa- oh, look at this guy. Get a load of him beating his breast. What in the world? He doesn't know the right liturgy. He doesn't even know the right words to say. God, be merciful to me, 
a sinner. And that's not that's not in the Psalms, is it? God be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful. There's another parable that Jesus told. We looked at earlier about the rich man and Lazarus. And remember, Lazarus was in Hades. And he cries out, Father Abraham, be merciful to me. Have mercy on me. In a couple of weeks, we'll look at a blind man standing, sitting on the side of the road. And he will cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Be merciful to me. That is not what this man is asking for. That cry for mercy, that word mercy, is looking for temporary relief from suffering, looking for some temporary relief from something that's going wrong. That's not what this man is asking for from God. When he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, the word that he is using is only used as a verb Two places in all of the New Testament. Here, and in a passage you just heard this morning in our assurance of pardoning grace. In Hebrews 2.17, Therefore, He, Jesus, had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that He might become a merciful, not that one, that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And I skipped over it at the assurance because I knew I would talk about it here. But as my pastor, as my children's pastor, when they were growing up, as he used to say, that is a word that every five-year-old in the church needs to know. Propitiation. In fact, we used a version of an English version of Scripture that often would change that to atonement. And he would tell us, and he'd say, take out the pew Bible, scratch that out, write propitiation. You should know this word because it is a sacrifice of atonement, but it's more than that. It's a sacrifice of atonement that satisfies the wrath of God. The wrath of God is satisfied with a propitiation. This tax collector is crying out, God, make propitiation for me, a sinner. God, turn your wrath away from me, a sinner. And it's not even just a sinner. And I don't know why our English Bibles do this, but it makes more sense to say a sinner. Literally, what he says is, God, Make propitiation for me, the sinner. He uses the, de- the, the definite article. In other words, as this tax collector looks around the room, he was certain that if there was anyone in that room who was a sinner in desperate need of God's wrath-satisfying mercy, it was him. God Have mercy on me, the sinner. And Jesus wants all of us to hear his words that would have shocked his audience. This man went home 
justified. This man went home accepted by God. This man went home declared to be righteous, not in his own merit, but washed in the blood of the Lamb. I mean, I'm sure that the tax collector, being good with numbers and with balancing books and with what goes in the assets column and what goes in the, the debits column, I'm sure he's looking at this lamb being sacrificed and looking around and suddenly realizing it's not enough. That's not enough. This lamb's blood for all of us, let alone for me, it's not enough. It will never be enough. But this is not the lamb that can make propitiation for him. The one telling the story a couple of years ago, his cousin, seeing him walking out along the Jordan, pointed and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This one telling the story in three weeks will be arrested and he will be washed and he will be examined and examined and examined thoroughly. And after every exam, though he will be pronounced guilty, he will actually be found without blemish, without guilt, without stain. And yet he will be bound and he will be sacrificed. And there will not be any care to collect his blood. It will just spill out onto the ground. And yet this blood will make propitiation for the sins of many. Because on that cross, he will cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The wrath of God over sin turned away from you and poured out onto his son. The wrath of God satisfied so that you and I could be justified, declared righteous, accepted by God. I'm just going to start the sermon by talking about the title and how, you know, there's two types of people in the world. There's the messed up and there's the dressed up. But that's just really not true. There's really one type of people in the world. There's the messed up. And sometimes the messed up just try to get dressed up and think that'll cover it all. Do you think this would have impacted this tax collector's life at all? To learn that he is accepted by God, that God's wrath has been satisfied. Would that have an impact on his life? But you bet it would. To learn that I wasn't the dressed up, I was the messed up, and now I'm dressed up. Not dressed in my own righteousness, but dressed in the righteousness of someone else who, who went for me. It would change his heart. Now, I know this is just a story and we can't really 
speculate on how does it go? How does it go for the rest of this parable? Is there a sequel to the parable? Well, and this is where I sort of give away where we're heading, because in Luke 19, it's no parable when a tax collector meets Jesus. And Jesus says to him, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for dinner. And that tax collector doesn't just give a tenth of what he has. He gives half of his wealth. If I have defrauded anyone, I give half of my wealth. I'll give it all away. And Jesus says, I tell you today, salvation has come to this man's house because the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And like it or not, that's in the words of Paul, that's all y'all. It's just in Greek, it sounds smarter. It's all of us. We are the lost. You know, the only thing more dangerous than being lost is being lost and not knowing you're lost. Has that ever happened to you? It seems like it happens to men more. We won't admit we're lost. We just drive faster in that direction. Does anyone else do that? You're lost. You know you're going the wrong way until you go faster. I do that a lot. Now, at least I'm making good time going in the wrong direction. The only thing worse than being lost is being lost and oblivious, or at least not willing to admit. But when you're lost and you know you're lost, you know, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, the most progressive thing to do when you're going in the wrong direction is to turn around. Like, go backwards. That's more progressive than just continuing down that path. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. God makes propitiation for sinners. Jesus has not come to validate your high self-esteem. And he definitely has not come to congratulate you on how little you need him. Jesus has come to make propitiation for your sins. To satisfy God's wrath for you. To seek and find you. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. Thank you, Father, for your love for us, that you sent your Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You poured your wrath out. He took your wrath. So that in Christ we could be accepted. Your children. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, but you count the righteousness of Christ to us. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.